Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name is Sabina Brennan, and you are listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. The use of the term it's all in your head has come to mean that you are imagining things or worse still, making it up. Either way, the message is that you should stop and there is no empathy and no treatment or little empathy. It's an awful place to be. It's crushing and it's terrible to be in a place where you are relieved that you don't have terminal cancer or a brain tumour. But the flip side of that is you still experience the symptoms. And on top of that, people now think you're malingering, mad or a hypochondriac. But there are other subtle reasons that those biases exist as well. There's a sort of unspoken acceptance that if a biological cause can't be found, then there is nothing medically wrong with you. And as a doctor once said to me, your tests are all clear. I wish all my patients were as healthy as you. Now go home and get on with your life. I went home feeling like I was just going insane. The implicit suggestion was that I was imagining things that somehow the pain, fatigue and other symptoms I was experiencing were all in my head and so were not real. And you really do start to doubt yourself and wonder whether you are imagining things. So the bias doesn't exist just with doctors and with other people. You have that inherent bias yourself that unless something can be found that's biologically wrong with you, well, then it is in your imagination. In this booster today, I want to further explore some of the themes and topics that Suzanne and I discussed in Monday's episode. Press pause and have a listen to that episode if you haven't already tuned in. It's called The Brain Detective. Suzanne's work is absolutely fascinating and her refreshing perspective on Western medicine, on psychosomatic illness and indeed on her own discipline is rather unusual for a medic. While the sleeping beauties and other mysterious illnesses that Suzanne writes about in her most recent book of the same name are extreme cases, the phenomenon of humans manifesting unexplained physical symptoms is not that unusual and it happens regularly on a much smaller scale. For example, have you ever gone to your doctor with persistent pain, illness, fatigue, rash, a cough, a tick, whatever, something that's really kind of getting you down or interfering with your quality of life to the extent that you feel you need to go to the doctor? Your doctor examines you and if they don't immediately dismiss you, will do blood tests they then come back clear. You're supposed to feel the relief that there's nothing wrong with you, but you still experience the symptoms. I've had this experience multiple times with very different outcomes. In one instance, after years of suffering symptoms, I eventually sought a second opinion. Actually, the first opinion came from the doctor who told me she couldn't find anything wrong and wished that uh, all her patients were as healthy as me. 
And I got further tests done with a different doctor who also did a different batch of blood tests. Ultimately, those blood tests indicated there was something amiss and I was sent to a rheumatologist and I received a diagnosis of an autoimmune disease. Now, that was after about seven or eight years of thinking I was going insane. Anyway, that was great. Autoimmune diseases, they have a biological foundation, but not always. Some of my bloods were off but not sufficient for a diagnosis. So I was then forced into, essentially really, forced into having an intrusive biopsy on my lip, which showed that there was actual autoimmune damage to my salivary glands. They were being killed off by my own immune system. And why I would say sort of forced into that, I didn't want to have that biopsy because I'd read online that it can cause permanent nerve damage. And so I left it another year before I went for the biopsy. And true to what I'd read online, I have been left with permanent nerve damage. The nerves never grew back that were removed in my lower lip. And so I have no feeling for about an inch of my lower lip bit like after you've been to the dentist. After that, the autoimmune disease didn't particularly explain all of my symptoms, including the all pervasive bodily pain. And ultimately, another rheumatologist diagnosed me with fibromyalgia. Now, I was aware that fibromyalgia has no biological cause. There's no biological marker to say, oh, this is what you have. It's diagnosed based on symptoms and based on touch from the doctor when he puts various different pressure on touch on you. So it's still that sort of invisible kind of subjective kind of thing. I received the diagnosis and I rarely admitted to it until actually I wrote my last book. You know, I didn't like to publicly say I had it because it is a controversial diagnosis. Lots of medics, including my first rheumatologist, doesn't believe it exists. And others consider it a psychosomatic illness to be interpreted, I suppose, as it's all in your head. My second and current rheumatologist, the one who diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, explained to me that, yes, it is all in my head. The brain controls our perception of pain and touch and uses chemical signals to distinguish the two. And a certain threshold has to be reached in order for a sensation of pain as opposed to a sensation of touch to be experienced. Now, the calcium channels in your brain play a key role in this. They open to allow pain, neurotransmission, etc. But basically what my rheumatologist explained to me, and thankfully as I had studied this when I studied psychology, explained to me that the calcium channels in my brain are sort of overeager. To put it another way, they're hypersensitive. And so they actually actually fire too soon. The threshold is so low that the slightest touch sets the threshold for those calcium channels to open. And so I get these pain messages. I perceive pain instead of a light touch. Now, that made sense to me and also made sense in terms of how the anti-epileptic medication that I was prescribed worked by dampening down the hypersensitive response in my calcium channels. So I had a story, a medical story that I suppose had a physiological underpinning and that satisfied me in that regard, that this makes sense, explains my pain. I had a treatment more to the point that actually reduced my pain. Unfortunately, it introduced other factors because it acts like a very heavy sedative. So that impacted on my cognitive functioning. But the pain was somewhat improved. Years later, I decided the payoff was to, you know, I'd rather have my acute cognitive functioning and cope with the pain. Anyway, that's one story where, in a way, I was more or less led to believe it was all in my head. But actually, one was an acceptable condition. The other sort of midway, some doctors accept it, some others still consider it psychosomatic. And then last year, 
I developed a terrible itch, like needles being stabbed into my shoulders and my arm. Really, really sharp sensation that I just had to itch and not just itch, itch to the point till I actually broke skin and drew blood. That occurred after I was laid up with a very, very bad flu in February 2020. Now, in hindsight, it could have been COVID. Whether or not it was is sort of irrelevant. I had a bad flu and I was left with several lingering symptoms, one of which was this severe itch on my shoulders and upper arms. Now, this was the kind of itch <laughs> that kept me awake at night, scratching until I drew blood. And so I had lesions all across my shoulders and my upper arms. The itch was incredibly intense and the heat that would irradiate from my arms was palpable. They would literally turn tomato red and my husband could hold his hand a couple of inches away and you could feel the heat emaniating from my arm. You know what? I stuck it again. I didn't want to go to the doctor because it's one of those things that I just can see the look on their face when you go, yeah, here's something else that she has. After about three or four months, I couldn't bear it any longer. I really had terribly disrupted sleep. I was crying with the itch and I went to my GP who, in fairness, sent me for blood tests. They all came back normal. I went to my rheumatologist thinking maybe it was related to my autoimmune condition. He did some autoimmune specific tests. They didn't really indicate any definitive and he hadn't really ever seen a rash like it. I asked my neurologist, I have chronic daily migraine, so I have a neurologist and the interesting migraine is about hyper responding in your brain. Anyway, I asked him whether it could be related to my migraine. He didn't think so and suggested I go to my dermatologist. She looked at it, looked at the lesions, was very keen to try and get to the bottom of it. She took a biopsy of one of the lesions and that came back normal. Now she did everything she could to help, you know, suggesting various creams and lotions and things to do. And I tried to manage my stress as well, because in some regards, I sort of began to suspect that it was psychosomatic in some way, so that I may have been mismatching the rash with the flu, when in fact, perhaps it was related to the chronic stress that all of us have been living through as a consequence of the pandemic and the lockdown and job losses and all those other things that it brought. So I worked really hard on managing my stress and my lifestyle and applying creams and moisturising my skin and doing all sorts of those things. It didn't go away completely, but I did get it under control and was sort of limited to three or four lesions, including a lesion that never really healed on the scar of the biopsy. Now, the itch has actually come back and got worse (laughs) and it is starting to wake me up at night again. And you know what? I have been quite stressed recently. There's been a number of things. I had a book come out. My house is on market for the sale. My son almost died with a serious infection. There's been lots of things going on. So perhaps it is psychosomatic. And it's still hard for me to get that out of, you know, it's all in my head thing, even though I understand that, yes, it is in my head because my brain is producing these signals that I'm experiencing and then have to respond to by scratching. But it's still a pejorative term. But The point I suppose I'm trying to make is that doesn't mean that the itch is not real, that those lesions are my imagination. They're not. It means that there may be psychological causes. And I know from my own work that that most probable cause is stress. And so that's why I'm kind of looking towards the stress. It kicks off things. The itch disrupts sleep. And so a vicious cycle ensues. And so that may be the cause. And that's As much as I would like a physical diagnosis, I do sort of have to accept, and it's not have to accept, that 
it quite possibly is psychosomatic. I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that the pain, the itch, etc., the broken sleep is all very real, but the cause itself doesn't actually have to be biological. Or indeed, it is physiological, because if you're stressed, that kicks off a physiological response in your body, which may then make other aspects of your functioning hyper-respond. At the end of the day, the cause is medically unexplained, but I need to find a way to stop it. And managing my stress better and prioritising my sleep is probably my best option. Chatting to Suzanne for Monday's episode made me realise that again, even though I kind of knew it underneath and I need to take back control. So why have I shared all of that with you, all that personal information? I suppose it's to illustrate the bias that we have towards biological illnesses and diseases and physical pathology as opposed to psychological causes, pain caused by psychological factors. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As I said earlier, I've come away from GPs feeling like I'm going mad, wondering whether the doctor thinks that I'm a hypochondriac. I actually avoid going to the doctor now because I don't want to be seen as such. And then just this weekend, I read about young Sarah Harding's tragic death and remembered that she had put off going to the doctor about her lumps, not because she was afraid she wouldn't be believed, but because she was afraid of what she would find out. And if she'd gone sooner, who knows? So early diagnosis is critical in so many conditions, multiple sclerosis, you know, Alzheimer's disease, those conditions that I work a lot with. And it's worrying to me that people like me become wary of going to doctors because psychosomatic pain and illness is considered less than physical pain and undeserving or treatment or empathy or worse still can be considered imaginary or we can be seen as malingerers or hypochondriacs. And that has to change because we need to feel comfortable that we can go to a doctor with something and And have it taken seriously. And even if there is no underlying biological cause, that we will receive empathy, hopefully treatment and support. So what can we do? What can be done? Well, we can ask people and doctors to take psychosomatic illnesses seriously and to offer treatment and empathy. Whether the treatment takes the form of talking therapy like CBT or more traditional medicines is really kind of irrelevant. It's the relief of the suffering is what people need and what doctors should be providing. 
We'll never make any progress on this front, though, unless people, including doctors, understand how psychological and social suffering can manifest as very real pain. Dr. Susanna O'Sullivan is a real trailblazer in this regard. Her stories illustrate how our bodies lose control, triggered only by a feeling inside. Have you ever broken out of sweat just thinking about going on a date? (laughs) Have you ever experienced your skin crawl just thinking about a spider or experienced the continued sensation of a spider walking up your arm after he has been removed? I mean, I'm actually feeling my skin crawl just now as I think about it. These are all psychosomatic responses. We've all experienced the physiological stress response, quickening heart rate, sweating, rapid breathing, muscle tightening. All of those, including increased blood pressure, can kick off even when there is no tiger to fight or mugger to run away from. As any of you know, they can happen just by thinking about, you know, going for a job interview or speaking in front of an audience and they can interrupt our functioning. We can become blabbering idiots in a job interview or find it difficult to think or find information that was at the tip of our tongue in an ordinary situation. A psychological fear like fear of speaking in public can go even further. You can tremble uncontrollably. You may lose your voice, your words, your memory will fail you. You may even freeze and literally be unable to function, to move. That is a psychological somatic response. I don't have a fear of speaking in front of an audience, but I do smile a lot and I advocate that we laugh more because laughter is nature's natural stress buster. But I love how Suzanne sort of switches this up and evokes laughter as an example of a psychosomatic response. She says, think about laughter. It is a physical display of emotion whose mechanism is ill understood. It is not always under our control. It affects our whole body. It stops our breathing and speeds up our heart. It releases tension and communicates feelings. If we can collapse with laughter, is it not just as possible that the body can do even more extraordinary things when faced with even more extraordinary triggers? Psychosomatic illness needs more understanding and more compassion and that can only come from an intelligent understanding of how psychological factors can lead to physical, often catastrophic psychosomatic illnesses such as the epileptic seizures, paralysis and debilitating pain that Suzanne encounters regularly as a neurologist. In fact, she says that up to one third of people seen in an average general neurology clinic have symptoms that cannot be explained by medical tests or examinations and are therefore defined as psychosomatic. These people often find it difficult to accept that their physical symptoms or functional losses could be caused by psychological factors. Suzanne gives a wonderful detailed explanation in her book of how a young woman lost and ultimately regained her ability to walk. We all accept the fact that we can learn new physical skills but forget that learning can be maladaptive and that it can go in the opposite direction. So once this woman accepted the psychological causes of her paralysis, she then relearned how to walk again. We, myself included, need to address our own biases about biological and psychological causes. It's not a blame game. 
It is an empowering route to recovery. If we can identify the psychological, emotional or social factors that underlie our symptoms, we can retake control and begin our journey to become not only symptom free, but also possibly improve the quality of our lives by addressing factors that cause us both physical and emotional pain or distress. Earlier this week on my social media, I shared a quote from our conversation in Monday's episode from Suzanne in the episode saying our ambitions should not be making us ill. So it could be sort of a bigger life issue than just a moment of stress. It could be something like we have chosen the wrong career and that inherently is an ongoing stressor or an ongoing emotional pain or whatever. But that may be that is manifesting as a physical illness. And Suzanne in her one of her books talks about this woman who had worked in IT all her life and then in middle age she got a diagnosis of mild autism and she realised that working in IT wasn't the right job for her. And so she switched career completely. Now, why did she need that permission to switch career? <laughs> why did she need that diagnosis to switch career? So, yeah, looking inside ourselves can be really empowering and allow us regain control over our health. But as I said, this shouldn't be considered an either or, you know, either it's psychological or it's physical. It can be a combination of both. And that's why sometimes addressing psychological factors can improve prognosis in things like cancer that have very organic biological underpinnings and vice versa, of course, you know, experiencing an organic illness can bring about affective disorders like anxiety and depression. So they're all interlinked. None of them happen in a vacuum. But I think it can be helpful to look within ourselves and see where we can regain control. And those around us, including our medical professionals, need to to look to themselves and look at their own biases when it comes to those of us who do come to them with very real pain that may indeed be psychosomatic or may indeed have stress as a cause. My name is Sabina Brennan and you have been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My aim for Boosters is to share insights from neuroscience, psychology and from my own life that might help you to better understand why we do the things we do, how we can reach our true potential and move from just surviving to thriving in life. If there's anything in particular you'd like me to cover in an upcoming Booster Shot, please do let me know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, you'll find me on Instagram at Sabina Brennan and Twitter at Sabina underscore Brennan. You can, of course, also email me at info at superbrain.ie. For the price of a coffee, you can listen to Superbrain ad free over on patreon.com forward slash superbrain. 
I couldn't do this show without my brilliant editor Emily Burke and there'd be no point in doing the show at all without you my wonderful listeners so thank you for tuning in today tune in on Monday for another fascinating interview with an inspiring guest and on Thursday for another booster shot from me my name is Sabina Brennan you have been listening to Superbrain the podcast for everyone with a brain <laughs>